Welcome to This Week in Lotus. The weekly roundtable discussion of all things social, collaboration, technology and community. Here's your host, Stuart McIntyre. This Week in Lotus, episode 80, recorded on Thursday, 1st December 2011. Connecting with the Collaboration Roadmap. Darren and Stuart interview renowned strategist Michael Sampson about his role, his new book, Collaboration Roadmap, Connect 2012 and more. Coming right up. This show is a proud member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. You can find this and other tech-related podcasts at techpodcast.com. Well, hello and welcome to This Week in Lotus. Here we are for episode 80 of the weekly roundtable discussion about all things Lotus and IBM Collaboration Solutions. Once again, I'm joined by Darren Duke. Hello, Darren. 80? 80. That's, that's, that's a big number. That's like old people number. Yeah. Isn't that scary? We're doing it for what? Just coming up two years, I guess, sort of a year and seven months or something. It's gone very quickly. It, it, it has. It has. As, as, as this week. And this is actually a rare week. This, I think this is a first. This is the first ever for this week in Lotus. We have already had stewards say that something will not be in the bloopers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the sensor is cut in already. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's um, not even an IBM on. <laughs> Yeah, and I've already done a podcast this week. So this is my uh, my second late night podcast of the week. So uh, listen to uh, to our competitor over at Taking Notes with Bruce Elgort. We did a podcast earlier in the week all about Lotus twenty uh, Lotus Sphere twenty twelve. So have, have a listen to that too. And have the uh, abstracts come out yet? Or not? Well, they might have done by the time this podcast is uh, is published in that they are due any day now. I can't say specifically what day they've been promised, but certainly pretty soon. And I already know mine. Mine's a no. <laughs> and you don't care, do you? <laughs> no, I don't because I didn't put one in. Brilliant. Well, we are joined tonight um, just by the one guest, but by a very special guest that I'm delighted to have back on Twill again. He was on episode four, way back in the midst of time, May last year, and back again uh, for episode 80. We're joined by Michael Sampson. Hi there, Michael. Hey, Stuart. Thanks for having me back. Was it really that long ago? It was. That's what I was thinking. One wow. of our very first guests on with Eric Mack all those many months ago. I was just right because I need to send out a um, a newsletter to some people saying that I'm going to Lotusphere. And one of the things I put in there was, hey, you could listen to these three recent podcasts. <laughs> and now that you say it was all that time ago, I can't use that word. <laughs> yeah, that might be stretching the truth somewhat. That's it was right. probably still called Lotus back then, wasn't it? I think it probably was. We were talking about app stores and all sorts of fun stuff way back then. So, Michael, do you want to tell our listeners, if they haven't listened to episode four, what is what it is that you do and who you work for? Well, I work for my for my own company. It's the Michael Sampson Company out of New Zealand, and I have the privilege of working with clients around the world and user organizations who want to make collaboration work. And the emphasis of my work is on collaboration strategy, governance for collaboration and user adoption there's a few other things coming as well but those are the big three at the moment 
Excellent. And many folks kind of from outside our community will know you as a SharePoint specialist, but I'm guessing you do quite a lot of work um, with IBM Technology too? Well, I, I think the best way of saying it is that I really don't care what the customer has. I, I don't give a stuff anymore. Um, yeah, I don't know if you want to put that in the bloopers or not. Uh, I honestly don't care. I work with, I mean, when you and I met earlier this year, we were working with an organization with IBM technologies and connections around user adoption and strategy. When I was back here in May, I was working with an organization that has Jive. I work with organizations that have SharePoint. The focus isn't on whether the technology is great or not, although, of course, I have some opinions on that. What I'm interested in is how we make work and make productive and effective what they have. Excellent. And uh, yeah, and, and that's kind of interesting and thrilling in many ways to hear in that you know obviously so many people we have on this week in lotus are product specialists and brand specialists you know and that's fantastic you know the ibmers who who have a deep devotion to the brand but at the end of the day the tools are there to enable users to get their jobs done and so i guess that's the angle you come at it is is, is from the organizational productivity and the user productivity point of view which is clearly the end goal that we all have that's right. And I mean, clearly, if you work for IBM, you have to be passionate about that. If you work for an, for a, an IBM business partner, you have to be passionate about connections and Quicker and Domino and the other things. That's what you've bought into. If you work for a Microsoft business partner or if you work for Microsoft, you have to be passionate about that stuff. But for me... I've got to the point where I'm saying there are some other things that I want to be passionate about and it's these it's the issues of strategy and governance and user adoption and a couple of other scurrilous things that I won't tell you about yet. <laughs> and and I think that gets lost in the mix. And and we're just it as guilty as anybody else. <laughs> Uh, the, the, well, hey, it's, you know, much, it's much easier to talk about features and functions and capabilities and integration points and app stores and new devices and tablets and yada, yada, yada. It's much easier to do that, and there's a certain geek coolness about it as well. But at the end of the day, in the middle of the day, at the beginning of the day, once you've got that stuff, what counts is what the customer does with it, is what the customer puts those capabilities towards. It's what the customer does to lead their people on a journey to be productive and effective, to be collaborative, to be awesome in the world that they have to be awesome in. And you're exactly right. I was just telling someone the other day that it doesn't matter what the product is. The product can be an absolute success in one place and an absolutely abject failure in the other. And the only the, the difference is not the product. The difference is the people using it, or how they have been, for want of a better word, was the horse taking the water, but you can't necessarily force it to drink. And and I think we we lose sight of that. That it's not the the the, the, the IT is not the tail that wags the dog like Y two K was anymore. And we still yet we still make the same mistakes. We go out and we convince organisations to buy fifty, sixty, seventy, a hundred million dollars worth of software, you install it and you walk away and the users end up thinking, well, what do we do with it now? And and I think, unfortunately, yeah. still today, IT forgets about the user too much. So so I have a, I have a favorite story and as a result of a user adoption workshop two days ago, I have a new second favorite story. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite story is of 
a organization in Europe that had Lotus Notes, and it was an utter failure for them. It was a mess. There were silos of information everywhere. No one could find anything, and everyone hated it. So they went and talked to a Microsoft business partner, and as Microsoft business partners will do, they said, you need to put in SharePoint. So they put in SharePoint. Two years later, it was an absolute mess. There were silos of information. No one could find anything, and everyone hated it. In other words, the technology wasn't at fault. It was strategy, governance, and user adoption. My second favorite story, as of two days ago, is of a university down here in the Southern Hemisphere who was putting in a student management system, paid tens of millions of dollars to buy PeopleSoft, started working with it, and it was an abject failure. They went out to market, did the evaluations, and they chose PeopleSoft, same product, and this time it was a success because they did things differently. And I think that's the message that we lose far too quickly. I, I, I might start a new business, selling customers what they already have, just in a slightly different <laughs> way. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Michael, um, I know your job title you have on your business card is collaboration strategist, and it appears on your website as well. How would you define what a collaboration strategist actually does? Stuart, it's a really good question. And, and I guess it draws on a couple of strands, and it's it's really a term I've made up to try and describe what I think I do and where I help organizations. So it draws on the Michael Sampson as an industry analyst, and what I'm interested in is what's going on in the industry. What are the big trends? Where are the products going? Where are the vendors going? That's of interest to me. But industry analysts traditionally aren't interested in organizations as such. You know, many focus on the vendor side and serve the vendors and get their revenue from the vendors. I'm interested in what the organization is doing, how they're making use of what the vendors are offering, what the issues are that they've got in making use of that, but then ignoring the vendor altogether, what do they do about it? What's their strategy for being effective, for being collaborative? How are they going to govern this? You know, in, in my workshops around governance, I say, you can, you can have SharePoint or IBM or Jive or anything, but let's now think about this on a continuum. So we'll use connections for argument's sake. So in connections, you could govern it. And for me, governance is how the organization translates the opportunities and the technology into something that it will become for them. You could govern connections and say, Anyone can create any community at any time for any reason with never having to pre-check if a current community exists and can put whatever security permissions they want on the environment. That That's is valid, but an organization could say that. That could be their governance strategy. At the other end, you could say, if you want a new community, it's going to take three months of sign-off. You need a business case, a budget code, <laughs> and approval from the board of executives, and it needs to be written into the strategic plan. That also could be a way of governing connections. It's it's valid. Yep. There will be pros and cons for both of those patterns and for the 10 or 50 other patterns that you could look at in between. But the point is, depending on how you govern it, will depend on what you get from it, what it will look like, whether people love it or hate it, are attracted to it, are repelled by it, find what they want or don't find what they want. So governance is a, is a hugely underappreciated and under 
oh, what's the right word? Un- not enough attention is paid to this. You know, what, one of the things that I hate is when governance is positioned as an optimization of technical settings. You know, there was a there, there was a white paper some years ago in the SharePoint world that said governance means you know having the right number of servers, having it optimized correctly, having enough memory, making sure that you have a killer backup strategy, yada yada yada. That's not what governance is about. That's operational stuff. That's not governance. But we we lack the maturity in what this discipline is about. So coming back to your question, what does a collaboration strategist do? A collaboration strategist says, given what you've got, Mr. Customer, what are the disciplines that we need to put into place to make this work for you? I was wondering about the term governance. And it, it, is it necessarily that IT types maybe have a negative connotation of the word governance in insofar as the uh, the, the, the black suits and the black helicopters come in and tell you you're doing the wrong thing and, and maybe we've got the wrong idea of what governance is and maybe we need to reevaluate what that word means as opposed to what we actually believe it means? Well, I, I think it struggles from the same challenge that the word collaboration does. <laughs> yeah, really. I, IT, for better or worse, but usually worse, own own that word as... Collaboration means the technology that we have. Governance means serving, sizing servers correctly and having permission to tell people that they can never do anything. You know, that's what it's become. But organizations actually, in reality, have real needs from collaboration and real needs from governance that IT do not have the skills nor competencies to deliver. And it's not their job, even if they did. So... We're going to talk a bit later about my new book, but the reason for writing the book is to say here is what I believe these disciplines are based on my research, my consulting, my workshops, and, and, and you know the various engagements with organizations around the world. Here are the disciplines that I think you need to do, Mr. IT person. And the book is aimed at IT, but there will be books in the future that start from a different position. So taking us back to your job title again, yeah, what's your background, Michael? You know, how did you get to be a strategist? How did I do it? Um, well, I left university in the mid-90s thinking I knew everything there was to know, as many young people do. I had a master's degree, so that was extra kudos for me. But you know, when I joined the workforce, <laughs> having done two years in messaging and conferencing and written and I'd, I'd spent a year writing a thesis on how to improve the delivery of consulting services through messaging and conferencing. So, you know, there was there was some background to my assertion that I knew everything. But when I when I joined the organization, I realized how little I knew. And so I started a very intensive reading program. And over the next 18 months, I think I read 4,000 articles. But I didn't just read them, I retyped them. And I didn't just retype them, but I recompiled them. So if I read 10 articles on notes that had various um, points in them, I would create a new mind map in linear form, though, about what that was. So I got a comprehensive overview. And I think in the first 18 months, my retyping was about 1,800 pages of material in Microsoft Word. And that covered conferencing, X500, X400, IBM, Microsoft, standards, yada, 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 all of that stuff. I mean, I still don't know how to spell... I still don't know how to spell TCPIP, but that was one of the things that was in there as well. Um, coming out of that, I had the opportunity to work with Ferris Research, an analyst firm 
in America. And David Ferris was very big on messaging and directory services and collaboration and so on. And we did a bunch of work over the next five years. And although we never met in the five years that we worked together, uh, I think we did some really groundbreaking stuff. The, the ongoing benefit for me was that he really taught me how to write. And in the early um, in the early part of the 2000s, I had, well, towards the end of the 90s and in the early part of the 2000s, I'd run an IBM business partner down here in New Zealand and we'd done notes consulting for organizations. Um, but in around 2002, 2003, I struck out on my own to run my own industry analyst firm. And it's gone through a variety of names, but it's the same company in terms of how the government sees it. Uh, and it's always been around how do we do team collaboration? How do we do organizational collaboration better? And that's led to the books that I've written, the conferences I've spoken at, the clients that I've consulted with and so on. Uh, I started a PhD a few years ago. I had to put it on hold because I ran out of money. Um, I have 10 kids, so, you know, single-income family with 11 dependents plus myself. Obviously, there's a bit of money that has to come in, and being a student was rather difficult. So, yeah, lots of fun, lots of… And a very big um, tartan, up, I imagine. Lots of getting up every day and just trying to figure out what to do, Yeah. So I, I look at some of the analysts around, you know, the James Governors and Marcia Connors and you know, now Alan Lepofsky. And I imagine it to be a very kind of swanky job, for want of a better word, yeah, going, <laughs> going to these vendor events and being wined and dined. And, you know, is it as exotic as all that? Well, it's not for me because I live in New Zealand. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, I don't know how the other half live. But apparently, yes, there's quite a bit of travel involved. And, you know, I guess one of the other things that happens in America is that in order to be an industry analyst, you are supposed to be on the road for 20 to 30% of the time. And that's one of the reasons that I just can't be an industry analyst in America because family commitments say that that's not possible. So living down here where our family is and our wider family as well is a, is a lifestyle choice. I guess I could come to America or, or um, move to England. But from, at a family level, we choose not to do that. Um, and yet I still have opportunities. I still have enough opportunities to work with great clients around the world um, to put food on the table for my family and, you know, to take three months out to write a book. So, you know, that's pretty cool. <laughs> Can't be bad. So, so you talk about those, those great clients. Um, you know, what, what do you do for your clients? What, why would they employ you to come in and, you know, be part of a project they're running? I think there's a number of reasons. Um, I, I always talk about capability development and upskilling of internal people. So, for example, a recent client, I ran the user adoption workshop for them and the intent was never that I would do the user adoption work for that organization, but that as a consequence of the the time that we spent together in the workshop and the handouts that they got and a copy of the book, they were able to walk away with a much better understanding of what user adoption actually meant. You know, I, I think one of the issues that we see in many IT organizations is that the assumption that if we build it, they'll come is so thoroughly ingrained that no attention has been paid to the fact that it, that it actually doesn't work and that there are other things that you can do. It's not, it's not rocket science. But there are some things that you need to do and put into practice around understanding what user adoption looks like and putting into practice a number of strategies to make that work. So that's one thing, capability development. Another thing that a number of clients use me for is external reference point and honest feedback on stuff. So, 
you know, if you've been in an organizational setting for too long, everyone starts to think the same thing or the same arguments have been said time after time after time after time. And there's a great benefit that's gained from having an external set of eyes. I mean, I, I experience it myself when I'm writing a book. I, I have an editor that I pay to edit my book because he catches stuff that I just don't catch. I've become blind to it. it, it it's a learned blindness. So... In the collaboration space, customers, uh, clients come and say, you know, come and help us with this. A third area that they um, come and seek my help on is vendor-independent view on what collaboration looks like. And I was, I was doing a recent piece of work down here in New Zealand, which has worked really well with having a new baby in August and working on the book as well, uh, where... The IT, the IT manager had a perspective on the technology that they would probably choose, but what they wanted was someone outside to come in and talk to some of the senior business leaders about how the organization worked, what the challenges were, what the issues were, and to come up with some recommendations not on the product as such, but on the capability areas that a product would need to deliver. And in questioning the IT manager about why they chose to work with me. One of the things that came out was we like the fact that you're not vendor aligned. You know, we could have gone to a IBM business partner or a Microsoft business partner or a Jive business partner and said, you know, come and talk to us about, uh, you know, come and explore what our opportunities are. But our fear was that an IBM business partner would say, well, buy IBM, of course. And a Microsoft business partner would say, buy Microsoft. And a Jive business partner would say, buy Jive. But why we worked with you is because you don't have those relationships and we wanted someone who didn't have those relationships. So I think those are three reasons, capability development, external perspective and vendor neutral, vendor independent, vendor indifferent um, analysis in terms of requirements and strategy and so on. Sounds good. And you, you mentioned earlier on, Michael, that uh, you have a new book out. You spent uh, you know, a lot of time over the last few months uh, writing that book, and I've been privileged to have an, an early preview, and I'm, I'm tremendously excited about it, uh, hence the reason for getting you on this call tonight. So do you want to tell us about your new book, what's it, you know, what it's called and what it covers? Absolutely. So the new book's called Collaboration Roadmap. You have the technology. Now what? And it's, it builds on the last 15 years of consulting engagements, research, analyst stuff. Um, and it also builds on the SharePoint Roadmap for Collaboration from 2009. And what it says is you've got the technology, you need to understand it, but you actually need to do a whole lot of other things as well in order to make it work. So it's aimed at IT groups, IT managers, IT um, you know, in, internal IT groups that are charged with making collaboration work. And I've made the word roadmap mean something in the current book, whereas SharePoint roadmap had roadmap in the title. You kind of had to figure out what the roadmap was yourself. But I've been much more intentional in this one around making it mean something. And so from chapters two through chapters eight, roadmap means uh, really understand the technology, chapter two, uh, O, chapter three, outline the vision. Um, chapter four, A, accept technology as a small factor in success. Chapter five, D, determine your governance approach. Chapter six, M, make every effort to engage the business. Chapter seven, A, apply intentional energy to adoption. And chapter eight, P, pursue increasing value. 
And so then the book finishes with an appendix called Collaboration Theory, which doesn't talk about technology at all and basically says, you know, how do you you think about collaboration? What are the fundamental pre-requirements to collaboration meaning something? What are the three work patterns that show collaboration? What are the four elements that make collaboration up? Communication, we obviously need to communicate. Um, Action, we do stuff together. Outcome, we have a we're working towards something and agreements, um, we have a an agreed structure, an agreed way of working together. And the appendix also talks about the nine downsides of collaboration because collaboration isn't all roses. There are things that we need to watch out for. And so that part of the appendix seeks to highlight nine of those issues and how you mitigate them or watch out for them. So, so Darren, you and I have been in the kind of collaboration industry for the last you know, 10, 15 years, um, you know, talking about collaboration with our customers. Do you think customers generally have got a sense for what collaboration really means and also how to approach it in the way that Michael's talking about in the book, you know, from the, the business side and very much as a strategy rather than just as here's some tools, let's get them up and running? I, I think they absolutely understand it. I don't know if they'd understand it if you said the word collaboration. I, like Michael said earlier, I think that's maybe a, a bit of a bastardized term that no one has really kind of leveled on. But I think one of the things that you'd find is, talking to them early on, there would be absolutely no belief that they could fail or that the result could be anything less than Nirvana. And and I think the the fact that the book has you know the nine things that can go wrong is is a good way of putting it. But look, just because you do this does not necessarily mean you will be better off unless you do the prep work. And I think that's the bit that everyone forgets. It's it's the same. It's everything in IT. It's everything in the world. We, we're kind of a McDonald's um, drive-through kind of people. We want it now, 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 now. And I think IT and collaboration and the tools that we have kind of lead us down that road as well and I think corporate business I think IT has a very hard time delivering that but I think consumer IT you look at the likes of Twitter and Skype I think they've they've got it nailed and I think that's what businesses look at and want to achieve and Michael do you think you know, uh, Darren mentioned some of these kind of free, you know, cloud-based tools that, you know, that we all used to. You can just go on, you know, to a Huddle site or whatever or a Yammer site and just get something up and running very quickly. Do, do, you, do you think that's put pressure on internal IT departments to deliver more quickly, maybe to not go through some of those governance steps that you spoke about earlier on? I, I think it definitely changes the game for IT, you know, if if you can flash a credit card on a Huddle site or a central desktop site or Lotus Live or or whatever, and have a system available to you three minutes later, and yet IT is saying, well, it's going to be six months before you can get um, <laughs> your, your hands on this to even just see what it's like, that changes life. I mean, seriously, I I was listening to a conversation, but with some people at the Share Twenty Eleven conference that I've been in, been at in Sydney this past week, and one of them was saying, you know, we we use Amazon for hosting new SharePoint installations now. I, th- I think that's what he said, and we can get something up in two days that used to take us thirty days of building infrastructure and getting servers set up and ordering hardware and you know all of that kind of stuff. When, when you start seeing that happening, that's just that's an astounding difference. 
Now, I mean, in, in terms of the public services, Facebook and Twitter and some of those others, you know, we're very quick to mention the successes. But of course, there's been thousands of such services that have tried to come about but have been have failed miserably and, and we just don't remember what they were called because, you know, they got, plus. Five, they, got, they got five users and then they, those five users disappeared. <laughs> and, and, and some of the vendors very much present cloud as being, you know, the nirvana, to use that word again. You know, it's, it's quicker, it's cheaper, it's, it's going to make all your problems go away. You don't have to worry about your internal IT infrastructure. But I'm guessing that the issues you cover in your roadmap book actually apply just as much with the cloud as they do with internal on-premise deployments. You've still got the question of how the users use the tools and how you roll them out and how you manage them in the same whether it's in the cloud or on-premise. Uh, I absolutely agree. I mean, I, I almost didn't even mention the cloud in the book because to me, the cloud is a deployment mechanism that simplifies life for IT. It doesn't deal with anything around strategy, governance, engagement, user adoption, and pursuing increasing value. That's what makes or breaks it, not whether it's hosted out here or hosted internally or on six six core servers or three core servers or it has two gigs of memory or 200 gigs of memory. Th- that stuff doesn't make or break collaboration. It's the other things that the book deals with. I, I think you may have just told the emperor he hasn't got any clothes on. <laughs> but, but, I mean, it depends what the promise of cloud is. If the promise is that we streamline IT deployment, the emperor does have clothes on. If, if the promise is cloud will solve all your problems, then this is just another example of the IT industry trying to come up with a new way of selling the old stuff, but with no understanding of what actually is required to make it work from an organizational perspective. And I guess this is what a collaboration strategist says. You know? well, and, and I find it kind of interesting that you used the word astounding to go from, from three months or whatever it was, two weeks to two days. And, and I think it just goes to shine such a bad light on corporate IT where what appears to be you log into a web page, you flick a switch, two days later you go to SharePoint environment. But I, I kind of feel for corporate IT in that because how much money has Amazon invested and Microsoft invested to get SharePoint in, in that kind of feature comparison? And, and I think sometimes you know, corporate IT looks a bit like Wile E. Coyote after we've gone off a cliff. Our legs are still spinning, but there's nothing under us. And all we're going to do is plummet to our demise. And it's kind of interesting to watch it it happen because it happens every five to seven years. It's cyclical. It's just the name changes. Yeah. Hey, I mean, I I used to basically be an outsourced IT department. So, I mean, I used to... I did a couple of times build servers and then I had a staff member who did that for me. So, you know, I, I identify with the challenges that you've got as an, in, as an internal IT group to buy hardware, but you first of all got to figure out what it is that you need. If you're getting a new version of a product, you, need to, you do need to test it and make sure it's not going to make your mission critical applications fall over. If you're trying to learn a new product and you choose something as big and complex as SharePoint, then you're going to need two to three years to figure it out. And I, I think that's the part where the cloud providers have a tremendous advantage because they're able to take people that have already been in the space for three to five years, they're able to give them much more in-depth training 
and enable them to become experts and then they build and maintain infrastructure that many other organizations can use rather than every Tom, Dick and Harry having to go through that scenario. I mean, I think the cloud is a great opportunity for IT groups to refocus on doing the disciplines that are in the book. I mean, if, if, if you're spending your entire life keeping servers running, keeping them backed up, deploying new patches, that's work that might pay well, but I don't think many people enjoy doing that on a day-to-day-to-day-to-day basis. But if, but if you start taking those people and saying, the opportunity for us is in how we use this stuff, not what we've got, and you train them in how to do and how to work with a business group to imagine how life could be different, to imagine how work could be improved, to do the engagement, to do the user adoption, to think about it from a governance perspective about what do we want this to become in our organization as we pursue success, then I think you've, you've laid the foundation for greatness. So, yes, I'm, I'm cynical in terms of the promise of the cloud that it's going to solve all the problems, but I'm not cynical of it. I, I think it holds a lot of promise if, and you have to underline that word and put it in 100-point font and put it in bold, if the IT group takes the opportunity to actually take resources that have traditionally been doing stuff that was complex but could be done in a very different way with the cloud and you put those people on the things that actually made a difference. And do you see organizations actually doing this? Do do you see them trying to morph IT back into, I guess for want of a better word, back into a profit center instead of a cost center? Uh, I don't know how to answer that question. I think I think there is an increasing interest in cloud. Very few organizations are going to take a 100% cloud approach. Many will take a hybrid approach. And so you're going to still have some internal infrastructure that's required in addition to managing the relationship with the vendor and outside staff. Um, in terms of making IT a profit center, you know, I've heard the pros and cons. I don't have survey research on that. Sorry, I don't know. I don't know the answer. And, and in terms of your book, Michael, who would you say it's aimed at? I mean, is it aimed at traditional IT folks or, or should it be, you know, maybe line of business people or execs or head of communications should be reading it? Stuart, it's a really good question and it's, it's an issue that I really wrestled with in, in how to write the book. But ultimately what I decided was that Collaboration Roadmap is aimed at IT groups who have to deliver collaboration and make it work but it's aimed at giving them the skills and competencies that they need to learn what the disciplines are and put those disciplines into practice in order to deliver success. Now, I, you know, there's, the roadmap starts with technology and you could say, but you're arguing against yourself, Michael, and saying that it's not, it doesn't start with technology. The roadmap and collaboration roadmap starts with technology. You need something and you need something good. And then it talks about the other things that you need. But the book also says you can come at collaboration from a, diff- from a very different perspective. And I will deal with that in future books where there's a book 
that's written up on my wall focused on executives and managers. How do we approach collaboration from an executive and a C-level perspective? What are the disciplines, the habits, the things that we need to be thinking about? And so my my intent, and I haven't written this yet, so you know you can kind of say anything, but my intent is that there will be a complementary nature between those things. I've written a book that's aimed at IT people to help them do great stuff. I intend to write a book that's aimed at C-level executives that helps them do good stuff. And there will be crossover between those two things. Now, having said that the book is aimed at IT, I think anyone in, a, in the business can read it because it's not a technology book. Um, you know, there are some products highlighted in chapter two. There are some issues highlighted around collaborative teams, collaborative groups, and collaborative organizations in chapter two. But the rest of it could easily be read by by uh by a manager, by a senior executive who's saying, you know, I've heard this word collaboration. Um, our IT group have usually owned it, but what does it mean beyond the technology? Because I don't believe as a senior executive that we just need to put SharePoint in and all will be well, or we just need to put connections in and all will be great. What else do we need to be doing? What do I need to, as an executive, be funding, be seeking, be expecting from my IT people? Does that answer your question? It does, most definitely. And cool. And and I'd follow that on then with you know as we look you know from where we are today maybe two or three years in the future hopefully as many you know many organisations have read your book and you know and learned from it would you still say that IT should be allowed to kind of own that collaboration roadmap or do you think um, it needs to be kind of taken further up in the business so, so more powerful positions or whatever higher up the business can can own that collaboration strategy because it, it seems to me I, I talk to a lot of companies about connections obviously and always talk about IT driven pilots struggling to succeed and if you don't have the business engaged then it's a, a, a challenge to get those those pilots to turn into production systems so would you say that we need to to move it from being an IT owned strategy into something higher up in the business? Well, I, I don't think that IT should own the strategy. And I think what you'll see in Chapter 5 of the book around governance is that there are three groups that I see in terms of an ownership structure for this and a governance structure for this. There's a strategy and steering group with cross-business representation whose goal in life is to say, what are we going to do to make collaboration work for us? And they own the things like vision. You know, what are we what are are we doing this for? Why are we spending all this money and effort? What is it that we're seeking to achieve? There's a business impact group, an internal consultancy team that goes out and works with the organizational groups and divisions and so on to understand needs, to understand opportunities, to explore with them the potential of different ways of working, the potential of going to market in different ways. And then what IT owns and what IT clearly owns is the technology infrastructure and making that work, whether that's cloud or in-house. So I see those, I, I think those three need to work together. IT should not own vision and strategy. Um, but IT has a say in that because technology creates opportunities. You know, one of the briefings I've had recently for the writing that I do on the Brain Yard was from um, the Brain Yard's a publication of Information Week. Um, was from a vendor who's who's developed a new way of integrating systems. It's kind of like IBM MQ series in in a new in a new wrap. And one of the things that they said is. You know, historically, you'll find an IT group who's working on a project that involves lots of system integration. You'll put 40 people on it, spend $2 million and take two years to deliver it. We can do this with three people in three months. And 
you know, technology creates opportunities for doing things very differently. Uh, you know, I was on a call recently today, um, recently today, earlier today, um, with a collaboration vendor, and we were talking about how um, you know new technology creates new ways of doing things, and you have to go through and work with the organisation, um, and, and changing from a software development process that's waterfall to a software development process that takes an agile approach, it impacts everyone, and you you've got these disciplines that need to be re-embedded in the organization, re-established in the organization. And um, I noticed from some of the blog posts recently that Ed Brill, I think, has written uh, the foreword for the book. How did that come about? Yes, Ed did write the foreword, and I I approached him um, some months ago to ask him to do that. So I've been sharing chapters with him as they've been finished I've known Ed for a long time and Ed's looked over some of my previous analyst work and given me input and feedback on, you know, a couple of things over the years. And, you know, one of one of the positioning things for me is that while I wanted this book to equally apply and be attractive to the SharePoint community, I wanted it to be attractive to the non-SharePoint community as well, to the IBM community, to the Jive community, to the to the community that thinks cloud is the thing that is all that they need, and to every other vendor community oriented around a product. I wanted the book to be attractive to all of them. And so part of the reason for approaching Ed was to make a very clear statement that it's not just a SharePoint book. Sounds an excellent reason to do it. And then having you know had, had a look at that forward, I think it's you know excellent uh, way in which he frames the book too. Um, and and Michael, we we've mentioned several times on this uh, podcast, you know, but both when you were on back in episode four, and also many times since, we've given away a few copies as well. The user adoption strategies book. How does this book relate to the user adoption strategies book? I mean, would you say that it would be good for an organisation to read both and kind of learn from both? And and a question that came in from Bruce Elgort when I tweeted about this podcast a little early on was, um, why does user adoption need a strategy? So do you want to cover both those things? Sure. The chapter in Collaboration Roadmap is a shortened form of the User Adoption Strategies book. So the User Adoption Strategies book is 268 pages. The chapter in Collaboration Roadmap is 46, I think. And it covers every single strategy that's in the User Adoption Strategies book, but in one page per strategy compared to four or five pages per strategy. Some of the upfront theory in the user adoption book around change and some you know some of those other issues are dealt with in a very rapid clip in collaboration roadmap. So they're very complementary, but what's in collaboration roadmap is a shortened version of what's in the what's in the book. If if your job at your organization is to lead the charge on user adoption, then by all means read Collaboration Roadmap to get the the overview of the entire approach. But user adoption strategies is the thing that you should be looking at every day and using that as a resource and a toolkit to do great work. Uh, In terms of why organizations need a strategy for user adoption, I think what we've seen time and time again with new tools is that the tool's not the problem. It's getting people to use it in a productive and effective way. That is what leads to failure when you don't get it and success when you do get it. 
And so a user adoption strategy is required to put some thought into what we're going to do. You know, coming back to the IT department that takes three to six months to size up a, um, you know, a purchase of, of servers and a build out of a data center and a cabling of the organization. It fascinates me that organizations are willing to spend so much time on that and yet think that nothing is required for user adoption to happen. You know, m- mo- most of the people in our organizations are not geeks. They're not IT savvy. They're scared of computers. They tolerate the tools they use. And they have pretty good tools already for doing many of the things that we think they should be doing. And when you turn up and say, well, here's this new great fandangled wiki and enables you to tag stuff and you can link it through to activities to do some um, other cool stuff and you can have a hashtag on here and a, a, widget, a widgety bob over here and um, you can do this thing over here in this space – People just don't get it. They just don't understand what's required. So user adoption says, what are the intentional things that we need to do to make this work, to help people see the new way of working and to make it real in their work? So that's what I believe. That's why I wrote the book. That makes sense. And are you still finding companies that do just believe that, you know, they can just build it and people will come? Or, or do, you, do you sense that there is, you know, gradually a, a change coming across the organizations where, where they do get it that there's more involved in deploying these solutions than just you know putting them up and expecting users to adopt them virally yeah hey, I don't have I don't have a great answer to that question I think that people who buy my book already understand that there is a problem people who call me in to do a workshop or do consulting understand that there's a problem but build it and they will come as a very very entrenched way of dealing with this stuff you know with the the whole trend towards consumerization of IT where people have better technology at home and often access to better systems at home that they do at work i think there's a growing sense that well people just understand how to do this normally and naturally and we don't need to do any training we don't need to do any teaching we don't need to do any user adoption work in a, in a workshop in europe last year one of the people said, you know, when we rolled out, I think it was when we rolled out SharePoint, our management said, well, it's it's a Microsoft product. You know, it's the user interfaces like Office. We won't need to do any training. And yet what they found was that people just didn't know what to do with it and that training actually was required. There's a, there's a famous case study from the mid-90s of BP who was – who were – exploring virtual team technologies to enable people on oil rigs and lands and and on the land and on the sea to um, communicate and interact. And they ran a pilot over 18 months with five different groups. Four of the groups they worked with to do coaching to help them understand why you would use the tools. And those four groups succeeded, but for budgetary reasons, they couldn't work with the fifth group. And whilst the fifth group could understand the product and use the products that they were given back in the mid-90s, they couldn't see the reason for it. And they couldn't change their work practice to use it because they just didn't see the benefit and value. And that group failed. It was the only one of the five that failed. And it was all the user adoption stuff that was missing. The technology was the same, but it was the user adoption disciplines that had been put in place compared to those that hadn't been put in place. In terms of whether organizations are doing more about this on a global scale, I don't know. Um, I have just kicked off earlier this week an update to the user adoption survey that I did in early 2010 to try and get a new read in terms of strategies that are being used and strategies that are being effective and uh, Stuart, you and I are hoping to present at IBM Connect 2012 next month and 
I'm I'm expecting to be able to um, put those survey that survey data in that presentation, assuming we get sign off from the powers that be. And yeah, hugely excited by that. I, I hope we do get the session, and, and yeah, it'll be fascinating to see how that survey comes back. Because I, I do sense there's been a a change over the last couple of years, and and you know, not not least through the work you've done, but also the work that other people have done around you know making sure organisations do understand there's so much more to it than just the technology. Um, actually, on Connect 2012, uh, just today there was a um, some details of the agenda published. So uh, we've got a link in the show notes to that, including some of the speakers um, for Connect 2012. So that's one of the pieces of news today. Um, people from a number of the companies IBM have done recent references with, so CMEX, um, uh, Russell Convenience Stores, Newlywed Foods, and so on. So we've got a link in the show notes. Do go and check that out, particularly if, if you're looking to take your executives or your managers to connect. Um, it's looking like it's going to be an excellent conference, so do come along to that. And Michael, just to conclude on the book, how do people go about getting hold of the book? Well, if you go to my website, www.michaelsampson.net, there is a link there on the right-hand column that will take you to the book page and you can buy it from there and I'll ship it to you from New Zealand. There's um, the, the cost of the book is $39 and then depending on whether you're in uh, New Zealand, Australia or the rest of the world, there's also a postage cost, but that's shown on the on the place when it comes time to buy a copy. It's, it's not going to be on Amazon for Kindle this time. I've decided not to do that. Any, any particular reason behind that? There's a couple of reasons. Um, as an author, I think you should buy the book because it's absolutely stunningly beautiful in terms of how it's laid out. <laughs> I think you lose all of that in Kindle. Um, and whilst the two previous books, SharePoint Roadmap and User Adoption, have, have been on the Kindle platform, I've sold orders of magnitude more in paperback and so I, I just don't see the demand that's I don't see the real demand that's there for it people ask the question but that doesn't translate into purchases so I'd prefer to sell you a paper copy because the the book rocks in terms of what it looks like and feels and yeah yeah but that just could be a biased author talking <laughs> Brilliant. and do, do you possibly have a, a free copy of the book we could give away to our listeners I do have a free copy. You'll just have to figure out how to give give it to the person, and then send me the details, and I'll get it shipped out to them. Awesome! So you have to attend. You have to attend Connect Twenty Twelve to get it off. Oh, that's that's scurrilous. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll come up with uh, with an idea as to how we can do that, and we will put uh, the details in the show notes as to how you can get hold of that free book, what the contest will be. We can you can tell how much thought we've given to this before the episode. So that brings us to the end of the time we have with you, Michael. Uh, it's been brilliant brilliant content that you've shared so far darren i know it's a, a bit late notice but do you have a tip to share with us this week i'm looking around my office in sheer panic because i'm like oh no it's six o'clock this is not going too well <laughs> um i do and what it is is this weekend or last weekend probably last weekend because it's in the past now um i rebuilt my laptop and got a new solid state drive because everyone should know from my blog post i'm an avid fan of solid state drives in there um, the change they can have for better for your computing experience. Um, but one of the tips I've got for people is before you install anything on the solid state drive, please, 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 for the love of God, update the firmware from another computer because you cannot update the firmware on solid state drives with data and still expect the data to work after you've done that. That makes sense. 
but I guess that's not necessarily a simple thing, is it, to, to plug it into another computer? Well, you're going to have one. Luckily, I've got at least 26, so <laughs> I, w- I was okay on that front. Um, but basically, any computer that has a SATA port in it, you just yeah. pop it open, pop a drive, and m- m- turn the power off first, obviously. Um, and I didn't, don't, don't sue me for any damage to your $500 solid state driver here. Yeah? But basically, you go to the manufacturer's site, you download the firmware, plug it in, boot off whatever Windows or Mac, update the firmware, then off you go, you're good. So it's, it's not it's not trivial, but it's not complicated. Okay, and how's the uh, the MacBook Air going? Everyone likes it when I get it out. Everyone goes ooh, and then they say, "How do you like it?" And I'm like, uh, "It's light." <laughs> <laughs> it's- yeah, I've got I've got that challenge because I've got a MacBook Pro 13, and I have to decide what I'm going to buy next year. And I like the lightness of the MacBook Air, but I want a bigger screen, and you can't get both of those in one package. Well, they're talking about a 15 inch MacBook Air coming very soon. So that, okay, that well, there you go. Need. He didn't uh, tell fantastic. me this two weeks ago. Uh, 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 I don't think it'll be before <laughs> Christmas. I think, I think we're looking at February, March time. <laughs> I had to cancel my order to get the i7 after you guys told me there was an i7. You need it. And Michael, what's your tip? Well, clearly you should buy a copy of the book. I mean, that's what we've been talking about for the last hour. But hey, I, I was at a SharePoint conference this week and there was some great content, great case studies from organizations that are doing great stuff. But the thing that really stood out for me was a conversation with one of the conference organizers over morning tea on the Monday. And we were talking about mental toughness. And he was relating a uh, conversation he heard with an with uh, an Olympian and the person said to him, said to the Olympian, you know, what does it take to be an Olympian? And and the answer was, well, anyone can be an Olympian. All it takes is to be smart enough to figure out what to do and dumb enough to get up every day and do it. And, you know, I I don't think we have a problem with being smart enough, folks, but I think we do have a problem with being dumb enough to actually just (laughs) get up and do the things that need to be done day after day after day. So my tip, 2012, be dumber. (laughs) <laughs> embrace the monotony that's a great quote and I, I guess that's particularly true if you want to be an author I imagine that to get up and write that number of words every day that takes uh, you know, real dedication and possibly some dumbness too excellent and my tip for this week uh, is um, first of all go to connect or get your managers to connect I think it's, it's promising to be a great event there'll be more details about that in the coming weeks but um, if you haven't had that conversation with your, with your manager already um, do have do start it because I think it would be a great place for them to be to learn more about things like the collaboration roadmap um, a quick mention too for social connections too coming up next Friday which is the 9th there's still just a few places left so if you haven't registered yet go to socialconnections.info but Finally, a, a tip um, that I learned about today actually from another podcast from Matt Break Weekly is an app for the Mac and iOS, which is Day One. And what that is, is it's a journaling app. It makes it very, very easy and it's, it's a real beautiful app to just gather your writings on a day-by-day basis. So it really tries to encourage you to put something down in writing every day. Uh, it gives you sort of a calendar view. It's got a, you know, a number of really nice views in terms of how you can see those writings. It's just all about you gathering your ideas and, and sort of really putting together a diary of what you've been working on so you can look back later. And Michael, I know from previous conversations we've had, you do journaling every morning. Have you, have you seen day one yet? No, I quite like paper and a pen for my journaling, but I will have a look at day one. Thank you. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much, Michael, for taking part. If people want to find out more about your company or your book, where do they go again? www.michaelsampson.net. 
And you're on Twitter too? Caleb Guy, yes. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for taking part. Um, I guess you're into Friday morning already, so I hope you have a good day over there. Yep, it's Friday afternoon and there's 15 business days left between now and Lotusphere, so time is marching. Oh, my goodness me, that's scary. And Did Darren, you not want me to say that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. And Darren, Darren uh, how do people find you? I need that type of vacation if it's only 15 business days. I've probably got 95 business days between now and the Lotusphere. Um, Blog.darrenduke.net for seldomly updated, at least these days, while I'm busy, uh, blog posts on things technically related. And Darren Duke, all one word for my rants on, my 140 character rants on Twitter. And I'm 99% sure that I am the only person today to create a tweet with the words Boomtown Rats in it. I think you're probably right. <laughs> at least it's not a Monday. Um, and I am Stuart McIntyre. Find me on Twitter at Stuart McIntyre or the blog is at blog.collaborationmatters.com. Um, thank you so much for listening to this episode. We thank Michael for taking part. And until next week, this was This Week in Lotus. Bye. All opinions expressed during this podcast are those of the participants only and do not necessarily represent those of their employer. You're better at this than I am. That's what you said last time. You went, she's better at this than I am. (laughs) 